Hello you and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about Men in Black and we're talking about it with our great friend Steph Rubino. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I will soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Men in Black, of course, is a 1997 American science fiction action comedy film based on the comic series by Marvel Comics. It was directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, written by Ed Solomon. It's the first installment in the Men in Black franchise. It stars Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith, Linda Fiorentino, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Rip Torn. Steph Rubino is a writer and a teacher. They are the host of Fat Guy, Jacked Guy. I've been on Fat Guy, Jacked Guy. It's a wonderful show. (laughs) I love it so much. It's incredibly sweet. How's it going out there in your world, everybody? Tell us how you're doing. Let us know on Twitter and Instagram at YouAreGoodPod. We always love hearing from you. How's, uh, how's life? How's work? How uh, is the last book that you read? How's the last movie that you watched? How's the last comic you bought? How's the last bike ride you went on? Carolyn and I got bikes yesterday. And uh, I don't know. I feel like every time I get on a bike, I'm like... Why am I not on a bike all the time? (laughs) It immediately makes you feel seven years old. uh, And it's pretty sweet. So yeah, let us know how you're doing. Let us know what's going on. And don't forget that you, my friend, are good. I want to make a couple uh, very quick recommendations up top. First, I just read Night Pitch, a novel by Rachel Yoder. I loved it. It's going to be a movie, I, as I understand it. It's going to be uh, made into a movie starring Amy Adams. It's about the mother of a toddler going through some stuff regarding uh, what's going on inside, what's going on outside, what's going on in society uh, with moms, what's going on in her career, etc. I loved it so much, and I just want you to know that I read Night Pitch, and I loved it. And the other is, uh, I watched this because my friend Sam Regan brought it to me, and I'm so glad <laughs> that they did. I watched, I don't, I don't think I would have watched this otherwise, but I went in blind watching something called Cats 2. It's made by a few artists and musicians up in the Seattle area. It's an unauthorized sequel to the... <laughs> theatrical Cats 1 that came out in 1998. I've never seen Cats 1 uh, or the movie that came out a couple of years ago in the theaters. I've been in knowing uh, very little. I don't know what to say about this, but it's one of those things where I was watching it and I was like, I can't believe this exists. I can't believe that this is brilliant. I want everybody to watch this. It may not be your cup of tea or it may very much be your cup of tea, but I can't stop talking about it and I can't stop thinking about it. So I'm linking to Cats 2 in the show notes. Speaking of the show notes, you'll also find a playlist of songs that uh, strike Sarah and me when we think about the movie Men in Black. (laughs) I can't wait to share that with you and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. By supporting us there, you get bonus episodes. We've been doing this series in which Sarah revisits Sex and the City, and I watch it for the first time, which has been a lot of fun. It's about to get even more interesting because In Just Like That is coming back coming back to HBO, so <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some talk of that. And we're also doing this other series on the Lecterverse, movies about Hannibal, etc. And our next one is going to be Hannibal, book to screen, that's coming out this month, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So anyway, thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon and Apple Podcast subscriptions. You get all those bonus episodes, and uh, at the end of the day, that's what gets this show made. So thank you so much for making that all possible. All right, everybody. Woo! As Will Smith would say at the beginning of the song Men in Black. (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's talk Men in Black with Steph Rubino. Hi. Hello, Sarah Marshall. <laughs> Hello. 
Hello, Alex Steed. There's so much good things to use to tease what we're going to cover if someone doesn't look at the title of the episode for jumping in that I don't even know what to go with. Although that's only if they're like scrubbing a particularly tough cast iron, I feel like. (laughs) Well, I have one. Alex, have you... What is it? Have you seen any movies lately where Vincent D'Onofrio, in the role of a lifetime, plays a giant bug from space wearing an upstate New York farmer's crudely attached skin? Have you seen any of those lately? (laughs) You know, I have. I have indeed. Have you seen a kid's movie where the people who are making the kids movie was like, you know, you should star in this kids movie, Tommy Lee Jones. Have you seen one of those lately? (laughs) Yes, I have, Alex. And I was one of those kids. And now I am a woman who wants to bone Tommy Lee Jones more than I want almost anything. So, so it all worked out. (laughs) It sounds like we both saw men in black lately. (laughs) Oh my God. So we saw this because Steph Rubino, Steph, did I say your last name correctly? Is that something I've been saying in my head this entire time? No, it's Rubino, like the rib restaurant, you know. Fantastic. Well, Steph Rubino, like the rib restaurant, was like, hey, if ever y'all want to cover Men in Black on your fun feelings podcast about movies, I would love to be involved in that. And here we are. It's so true. Steph, welcome. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you guys for having me. This is like big deal for me. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy that you're here. And I'm a big fan of Men in Black. And I'm so happy we get to talk about it because I saw this when it was in theaters in like, what, 1997 or 98. And I had the time of my life. (laughs) And then I was inspired to watch it again earlier this year, specifically because I was like, I want to read about Alec Baldwin's wife pretending to be from Spain for all those years. And somebody in like a Reddit thread was like, people can speak fluent Spanish and not acquire an accent by learning Spanish. And as an example of that, here's Tommy Lee Jones speaking Spanish in the first five minutes of Men in Black. And I was like, very turned on by Tommy Lee Jones speaking Spanish in the first five minutes of Men in Black. And I was like, I should watch this. And then I watched it. And I've watched it like six times this year because I think it's a perfect summer movie in a way that I don't think it gets recognized for. And I'm so happy you're nodding. (laughs) It is. It is a perfect summer movie. Steph, tell us about you and then tell us about your relationship uh, with Men in Black, why you felt you needed to bring this to the people. (laughs) Okay, I'm Steph Rubino. I am a high school English teacher, a writer, and I am the co-host of a podcast called Fat Guy, Jack Guy, which Alex has actually been on before. In regards to Men in Black, I share this experience with Sarah. I went to go see it in theaters. My dad took my little brother and I to see Men in Black, and it was one of those movies that like, I instantly clicked with. I fell in love with it very quickly. I had always loved films where like there was like another world, but like our world was still here, but there was like a, another world that is kind of two inches away from our world. And Men in Black kind mm-hmm. of fell into that category. Mm-hmm. So stuff like Beetlejuice, um, The Addams Family, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, like all of those things kind of feel like it's another world that's just just there. Like we could touch it if we wanted to. And so Men in Black was another example of this. And I just like hooked onto it very quickly. It came out on VHS and I remember begging my grandpa to buy it for me. So yeah, I just have like this like little love affair with Men in Black my whole life. It's really funny because some of the movies you mentioned have a relationship with this movie. Barry Sonnenfeld directed uh, the Adam Family movies. And then Ed Solomon wrote the Bill and Ted movies, or at least Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So yeah, it's a tight knit family of people who made movies about a universe that was, you know, two inches from ours. Yeah, yeah, I love it. He also directed Wild Wild West, but like, yeah, we want to talk about that. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was a John Peters production. (laughs) Sarah, do you want to walk us through what it all is? Before we we go, we go deeper. Yeah, real quick. I would love to. Okay, so Men in Black opens with a dragonfly's POV for the entire opening credits. He's flying through the night sky and then getting smashed by a windshield. And the score is by Danny Elfman. And (laughs) it's just great. I don't know. It just really sets the mood. It's a vibe. And then 
we see a guy with a truck full of migrants driving through the desert somewhere in the American Southwest and getting pulled over by border patrol who are being gross and scary or by some local cop. But anyway, a guy with like a little bit of power who's just like very into feeling all of his power. So he stops the truck (laughs) and makes everybody get out. And then Tommy Lee Jones appears and some old guy who's his partner currently. And they're the men in black. And he's like, sir, (laughs) he's like, you have no idea what you're dealing with. (laughs) And is like talking to everybody in Spanish, which is how I found that clip, and like being very nice because we love the federal government and they're so nice. And then he finds a guy who turns out to be an alien who he has to, he's so, he's like a wanted intergalactic fugitive and he has to shoot him and explode him into a bunch of blue goo. And then we get kind of the basic men in black routine, which is that you like deal with an alien situation and then you erase everyone's memory with the neuralizer. Cut to Will Smith, <laughs> NYPD cop chasing down a bad guy who then. Wait, can I just say something yeah. about the opening? Yes, yes. I think the opening of the movie is like one of the most important parts of the film, basically yeah. because it's a lot of science fiction and like alien uh, media is all set up to be kind of allegorical about the immigration situation or like Mm -hmm. colonization or whatever. And I I really like that it opens with that to like give the idea basically that no, we're not doing an allegory about immigration or like invasion. There's no, we're not kind of, we're kind of not making a comment on that at all. This is an alien movie. And that's like all we're we're talking about people from outer space and only like things from outer space and that's it. That's so so interesting. I think the the opening is really important because it's just kind of situating us. It's almost not making a political statement. Or I mean, it isn't making a political Mm -hmm. statement, but it's it's saying that the politics are not what you think, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but I, yeah, totally. And like, I don't know, there's something, I realize that it's like, asking for far too little to get this wet over Tommy Lee Jones, but I'm 35 and I can't help it. And I guess like that he's like, welcome to America. Hello, you're great. Oh, found explodey guy. Got to deal with that. But like, it's not about you. <laughs> I'd say whatever, whatever its politics end up being towards uh, immigration and migration, the men in black let a lot more creatures in than American government is in, <laughs> want to do with regard to our like human immigration policy. Like we're, they're just like, you can come in and we'll just monitor you and everything will be cool. And I was like, ah, oh, pretty lax, honestly, for uh, an American agency. <laughs> Yeah, for the men in black, the cruelty is not the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Okay, is talking to Jay about how they fund uh, men in black. They're not a federal agency. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're private. They fund it through all the patents. Yes. <laughs> of That's like right. the microwave and like liposuction. <laughs> There's one other thing. But yeah, they, they like fund it with all of these patents that they have. So they don't have to worry about the government like meddling in whatever they're doing. Yes. So then is it like, so they're not, they started off as a government agency, but they're not anymore. So like, whatever. <laughs> the- <laughs> I think if we're like, there was a government agency that was supposed to deal with aliens. They didn't want to because Men in Black or like what the start of Men in Black is kind of beat them to it. And then they just let go of the reins. Hmm. It's not fully explained. <laughs> This opens up all kinds of questions about, you know, kind of (laughs) who outranks them and how and what kind of jurisdiction they have and like, are you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Is it technically a militia? Right? Is it? (laughs) Kinda. (laughs) Although, I mean, the government does a lot of contracting with private companies, so it could be like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a contract. (laughs) It's like Blackwater. Guys, is Men in Black a militia? Men in Black is the most peaceful militia on earth. <laughs> so Tommy Lee Jones is Agent K and yes. his partner, Mr. Old Guy. D. Agent D. Agent D. I love that. There are only so many letters you can use for agent names, honestly. So Agent D decides to retire. We do the old memory wipe on him. We've kind of established how Men in Black works. Cut to Will Smith. An 
NYC cop chasing down a bad guy who then blinks with his membranous inner eyelids before jumping <laughs> off a building. None of Will Smith's bosses believe him, but Linda Fiorentino does because she's the medical examiner and she thinks something hinky's going on. And then Tommy Lee Jones, Agent K shows up, wipes her memory. We're really freely wiping people's memories in yeah. this movie. Yeah. I would say the least believable part of this whole movie is Will Smith, an NYPD agent, becomes really <laughs> concerned about the use of force by way of mm-hmm. this like memory erasure gun or whatever it's called. What's it called, yes, Sarah? You said so its true. name earlier. The neuralizer. Neuralizer. Yeah, he's yeah. really concerned about them overusing the neuralizer. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, he just thinks Linda Fiorentino's hot, so he doesn't want yeah, her to true, get flashy yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think that this movie doesn't end with the credits rolling and then the sound of Will Smith going, ha woo! And another little rap song. You're wrong. You're wrong. It does end like that. <laughs> woo! Ha! <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if you were watching like a really serious movie about like... I don't know, like a trial, like something really depressing. <laughs> and then it ends with like a Will Smith rap yeah. song summarizing yes. what just happened. <laughs> yes. Totally. Yes. Like a movie about like World War One. <laughs> I. I miss that. I do. I miss that all the time. <laughs> Even the Wild Wild West song, as we mentioned earlier. Wild good. Wild West. Yeah. And the LL Cool J <laughs> song at the end of Deep Blue Sea. My head is like a shark's fin. So true. Um, (laughs) he was real for that so okay so will smith we're just gonna call people by their names will smith has an afternoon (laughs) with tommy lee jones where he learns about aliens he gets to go to see tony shalhoub an illegal alien arms dealer the arms are illegal not the aliens jeebs and then he gets his memory wiped again Or I guess for the first time, we get another memory wiping scene. Tommy Lee Jones, like, does not care anymore. He, I think sometimes he just wipes his own memory in the morning just for the hell of it. We're supposed to get the hint he's ready for retirement. Right? He's just using all of this as an excuse. And so Tommy Lee Jones has Will Smith come to a big Men in Black audition <laughs> where it's him and military guys and just, like, you know, the best of the best of the best. Sir. Sir, are all like taking a test and trying out to be men in black. And the scene that I loved when I was nine is where they have them in a firing range with like strobe lights and all these big scary aliens flying at him at them. (laughs) And Will Smith shoots like the little girl with the quantum physics book (laughs) in the head. And Rip Torn, who's in this, is like, Why did you do that? And he's like, Well, you know, at first that guy looks scary, but then I realized he's holding a tissue, so he's not attacking me. He's just sneezing. And meanwhile, <laughs> this little, he's got to be eight years old, and she's reading a quantum physics textbook. Something's not right. And you're, and I was just like, wow, this movie really fits with my emerging worldview. <laughs> you were so right. She can't be trusted. Which is like really, speaking of like Will Smith playing an NYPD character, it's like, Yeah, like there is something very like it's supposed to be so outrageous, but it's like, right, like a lot of the actual problems in policing are like the insistence on reading every behavior is hostile. Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) Right. I do. I do like the leap it requires for him to not be undone by the fact that what is holding the Kleenex is a monster. But, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) It's still fun. It's a fun leap. <laughs> He's just like not afraid of monsters. He's a fun guy. He sprays that girl's brains all over the place. And he's like, <laughs> she was carrying a physics book. Well, you got to shoot someone, Alex. You can't just not shoot anybody. <laughs> so he's, yeah, he's meeting us in the middle. <laughs> and then he turns to the other guys and he's like, that was a nice shot though, right? And like nobody answers. <laughs> he goes like dead in the center of this eight-year-old kid's head. 
<laughs> was Will Smith so like if this movie is like I don't know this movie feels like the same way that like the Adams family is they feel to me like a continuation of like whatever Ghostbusters contributed which is like you know like supernatural comedy that takes place like to your point stuff like in this world but like with regard to like what's going on beyond our vision or sort of our perception Will Smith like is in that case like Bill Murray in Ghostbusters times a thousand because like he just like his character is i have an attitude like that's his whole character throughout this entire <laughs> yeah. movie his character is like i'm a yeah. little stinky boy <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh will smith uh without knowing it really aces his men in black callback <laughs> and tommy lee jones i fucking love this callback. scene he like gives him a folder of photos and he's like in 1962 an american government agency started with the something like modest and silly goal of steph can you recite it do you know it <laughs> they started with the goal of contacting alien life off of earth but then aliens actually crash landed not at area 51 but in upstate New York, <laughs> which is just classic. I mean, they're like, no, we don't. It's, we don't need all that dry heat. It's too hot. Exactly. I and then in my favorite line in the whole movie, we see a scene of I think Teen Tommy Lee Jones meeting this like slender man alien, and Will Smith says, "Oh, you brought that tall man some flowers." <laughs> yeah, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So Tommy Lee Jones basically explains to Will Smith how. Uh, Earth made contact with aliens and how Earth is basically like an Ellis Island for aliens at this point, or I guess the bit that is Ellis Island adjacent continues to be for aliens and that there are about 1500 aliens on Earth and a lot of them are in New York and most of them are just living their lives. And Alex, <laughs> I'm actually going to send you my favorite speech from this movie to read. Great. <laughs> and I'll read the Will Smith line when you're ready. Okay. So who am I reading for? You're reading Kay, and I'm reading Edwards. And we're just reading the first two lines. Great. Okay. Okay. All right. You ready? Yes. Okay. Why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago... Everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And about 15 minutes ago, you knew that humans were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. I love that. Got him. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to put in like a family adventure film. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess rewatching this for the first time since I was nine, I was just like... I don't know. Like, it's just really nice when, like, you hear a sentence or two that really expresses something that you believe but couldn't <laughs> distill down that well. And it's, like, even nicer when it's in a family action summer comedy. And yes. I believe that. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals. And you know it. And that kind of explains everything. It explains stadium disasters. It explains moral panic. You know, it's I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I threw, the, I threw this on probably like April 1st, 2020. <laughs> and I was like, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay, so this is Tommy Lee Jones's pitch to Will Smith. He's like, become one of the men in black and you can like work with aliens, which is cool, but you can have no connections on this earth with human beings you can't have relationships it's like not i think his parents have to forget him too he has to do a hermione yeah there's no parents oh okay that we find that out in the third one. Oh, okay oh okay all right yeah great news and in the first movie they're just like <laughs> we don't have to get into it it's fine um yeah. <laughs> we'll do that in a sequel and also it's great because tommy lee jones is like you can have until tomorrow morning to decide and it's like seven o'clock at night he has like 12 <laughs> hours it's like give him a week they give you longer when you're applying for a job at staples okay and so also the plot that is brewing that we have seen at this point is that couple of the 90s vincent d'onofrio and siobhan fallon my favorite <laughs> snl cast member are a couple in upstate new york 
And we know we don't like Vincent D'Onofrio because we open on him abusing his wife. And then like justice from the heavens, a UFO comes down and a bug alien comes out. And Vincent D'Onofrio is like, you can have my gun when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. And the (laughs) alien is like, your proposal is acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) And so he takes off Vincent D'Onofrio's skin and puts it on and... So the Men in Black's first case together, their only case in this movie, is to figure out what's going on with this bug alien situation. And so they go up and interview Siobhan Fallon because in this universe, the weekly world news is like the best investigative reporting (laughs) in the country. Yeah, the tabloids. (laughs) Gotta check the hot sheets. Right. That's what he says. Which is it's like (laughs) such a wonderful detail in terms of that like world two inches away thing, I think. Yeah, I really like that. It kind of solidifies it. Like the people who have the secrets are these tabloid reporters who nobody believes. You know, it's it's really funny. I'm sure. I'm sure you caught Sarah that earlier. We got Roach from the people under the stairs who was in <laughs> who was in this. Yeah. as one of the Men in Black customs agents. Really? No, I missed Roach. Yeah. I missed Roach every time. Yeah. <laughs> you miss Roach McPoyle. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't done this in a while, but there was a period where like every second movie I would be like, and there is this guy in it. And I think that he played a McPoyle. (laughs) It's always sunny in Philadelphia. And Alex would every time be like, no, that's Roach from the people under the stairs. (laughs) And now it's back again. Sean Whalen. name is Sean Whalen. He's been in every movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's Bizarro Frank Whaley. Yeah, this movie does not have Frank Whaley, which frankly, <laughs> frankly, makes no sense. <laughs> so the men in black go and interview Siobhan Fallon and like, I don't know, this might be my favorite scene. Cause like, <laughs> I love everything about her. I love how she talks. She's like, Chief of Police himself was in here, conducted a full investigation, wrote down everything I said, A to Z, not believe in a word I said. You know, just like, <laughs> what is it about her? What is it about her? It's so she's she, uh, it's a perfect character. I don't know. I love the delivery. Me too. I, and I love how she calls it an Egger suit. Yes. Not Edgar, but yeah. Egger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I know Egger, and that wasn't Egger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then... Tommy Lee Jones neuralizes her and is like, all right, you've forgotten everything. There were no aliens. You're going to go stay with your mother. And Will Smith is like, wait, wait. And also you're going to get some nice dresses and shoes. And you're going to go to Bloomingdale's and get a facial. And actually you left Edgar. That's what you're going to remember. Like, I love how he's like, we can do better. (laughs) And you got to hire a decorator because damn. It just struck me, yeah, because damn. It just struck me that Sarah, you are a, um, you are very hypnosis curious. Oh yeah, and I feel like this movie is just rich in hypnosis. Oh yeah, it's without hypnosis, these guys would be screwed. And Will Will Smith is like, we need to hypnotize in style. I make things look good. I make hypnosis look good. That's what I'm up to. Yeah. That is totally right. He's like, if we're going to wipe people's memories, we're going to give them something like better than what they actually had, at least. (laughs) That's very nice. Yeah, I like him. He's good at this. (laughs) And then the the main plot, Vincent D'Onofrio, bug suit guy, bug suit, egger suit, uh, heads down to New York and he finds, I guess, Polish restaurant. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it's Polish. Okay. Where a nice old man with a cat and the serial killer from Gerald's Game are having a nice lunch. <laughs> I I don't know. There's something I have like a particular love of like characters who in this case turn out to be ancient, ageless, wise, like sort of above humanity creatures like really liking particular human food yeah and wanting to go to like a human greasy spoon (laughs) 
And that's what this scene is. And maybe that's why I like it. He gets so psyched about the pierogies. It's especially funny when later we get the reveal that like this is like a little alien driving around a a human that I'm like, (laughs) and the alien's right behind his face as I'm like, where's Mm -hmm. the food going? But that doesn't matter. Because, like, the food is probably just going into his little alien ship if it's going into his mouth hole, but that's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Continuity error, but we will allow it. You know, we don't yeah. know all the technology. We, we, don't, we, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know our Killian, you know, engineering. We don't know it. Exactly. None of us majored in that. It was an option, <laughs> but we didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't. No. <laughs> and... Actually, the saddest part of this movie is that these two are not able to get down to their pierogies because <laughs> Eggersuit busts in yeah. and kills them because he's looking for something that they have. He thinks that it's in this container that's on the table, but we've learned in subtitles that that's just some diamonds for your children. <laughs> so he doesn't get what he needs and the cat escapes. And then basically, Linda Fiorentino is catching on that something is happening no matter how many times her memory gets wiped. And then we have a scene where the men in black go to the morgue and find out that the guy, Alex, you should describe this, the little alien, because this is a great part. (laughs) The alien, like inside, they got one who I was just talking about. Yeah. Rosenberg. Yeah, this little, she's showing everything to the men in black who arrive the the men in black who arrive as they're like fake doctors they're investigating the scene as like fake doctors and she's showing everything to will smith who's really for someone who makes the job look good is not does not act cool in these situations at all like he's he's not able to (laughs) suggest he has any medical knowledge like he is not doing it's his first day (laughs) He hasn't had any training except to burn his fingerprints off. <laughs> She's like, feel this. And he's like, it's fine that it doesn't have internal organs. Anyway, the um, and she realizes there's a little there's a little button on the earlobe that if you press it, it the face comes up in, in a really cool, like hydraulic mechanics way and goes and sort of like goes up into the air. And what is revealed is the body like <laughs> Krang and the Ninja Turtles is just essentially like a power suit that Ripley walks around in aliens, <laughs> but like in body shaped in the, instead of Ripley being in the suit, it's a tiny, adorable little alien so sitting cute. in a seat him. behind this guy's face. And it's so cute. And apparently it's like a really, impo- it's funny that it's so cute. And it's like a leader of some sort. Like it's a cute little leader <laughs> that is a tiny guy in a human body. <laughs> This is the best description of that little alien. He's a cute little leader. He's he's a leader. And he's like dying, so he can only say like, Orion's, what's his word? Belt or whatever. But like, what is he dying of? Is it that he needs a living host body to support him or he like dries out or something? That's a great question. That is, a, you know what? That is a great question and one I had never, I just accepted it. I was, I've really been bothered by that. <laughs> dries out. I was just like, it must've been some something that the bug hit because he, he strategically hits them in the back of the neck huh. when he attacks them. So I'm wondering if that's like an Archillian thing with like their body suits. It affects, I don't know. Yeah, it's an Ar- It's just an Archillian thing. Hashtag just Archillian things. <laughs> and it's a plate of pierogies and some diamonds. <laughs> so they're like, okay, we have to protect the galaxy. And Jay's like, I think it's in Orion's belt. And they're like, the men in black are like, no, no, there's no galaxies in Orion's belt. So like, what could it be? And then they interrogate a pug. And... <laughs> Basically, what they work out is that there is a galaxy. The pug is like, just because something's important doesn't mean it isn't very, very small. (laughs) So they have a tiny little galaxy that they're looking for. And basically, the bug people, aliens, want to get it because it's the best source of subatomic energy in the universe or something like that. Yes. It's important. You're exactly correct. (laughs) You're exactly correct. They want to kill the Archelians with it. So there's a there's like a feud between the bugs and the Archelians. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it escalates into the men in black have to keep the galaxy safe 
from Eggerbug <laughs> or some higher authority within the universe is going to just kill every or they're going to kill they're going to destroy the earth so that the bug people can't get the galaxy which seems escalatory because <laughs> the Archelians <laughs> are the ones that they get all their warships and then put them around the earth yeah they're the ones that want to like destroy the bug before the bug destroys them basically yeah, okay, which is weird, because then you're like, how do we feel about the Archelians, though? Like, can't they <laughs> afford a little bit, like, more tactical maneuvering here? The Archelians are too militaristic. Yeah. So, the, yeah, so these are the stakes. <laughs> it really shows how the Cold War between the Archelians and the bug people has just, <laughs> you know, has not benefited anyone. <laughs> and ultimately, like, they have a big showdown at the site of the World's Fair in Queens, which is where the aliens originally landed and left their UFOs, which is just a fun retcon of the 1964 World's Fair. <laughs> and... Linda Fiorentino is kidnapped by Egger and they have a big showdown and they of course save the galaxy and Tommy Lee Jones has his memory wiped and goes back to his teen sweetheart and now it's agents Will Smith and Linda Fiorentino and they're wearing suits <laughs> without ties and getting hot dogs and then the and the ending shot of this movie no one can tell me this isn't like an amazing ending we like zoom out on will smith and linda fiorentino we zoom out of manhattan and we zoom away from america and earth and then the solar system and the milky way and like out of the galaxy <laughs> and then it turns out that we our galaxy is a marble <laughs> being played with by an alien and the danny elfman score is swooping around and then the alien just like chucks some marbles in a little bag and that's the end of the movie and it's great <laughs> it is great it's so good and i love it i remember watching that when i was nine and just feeling like wow there is like so much more to reality than we really think of in the day-to-day -day. and i just felt like men in black is a movie that really made me think and I still love it. It still like gives you, and it's, and Alex, as you pointed out, how long is this movie? How long is it? <laughs> Excluding the end credits, it is one and one half hour. Exactly. It's 90 minutes. It's so tight. It's so good. Yes. And I, the sequel, Men in Black 2, 89 minutes. And it's just a nice little adventure, you know? And there are like big stakes, but it's just, and it's really about Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith doing kind of a 48 hours. <laughs> kind of relationship yeah. and Linda Fiorentino being hot and our galaxy being a marble. It's so true. Linda Fiorentino looks great in this movie. That's where they <laughs> nail the timing is that the stakes are high and the personal growth is Tommy Lee Jones just eventually refers to Will Smith by his actual name. Like that is the growth that happens in the movie. He finally calls Will Smith Jay at the end. The stakes are articulated and sort of outmaneuvered. There's no, in every Marvel movie, it's a story about the stakes and then about a man learning how to be a friend. Like that's it. And that takes a whole extra hour. Mm -hmm. Not this movie. Nope. It's just. <laughs> this is the tightest Marvel movie ever made. 90 minutes. This is technically a Marvel movie. Is it? Oh my god, it is. And it well, it's based on yeah. comic books. And are they are they they're Marvel comic books? Yeah, they're Marvel they're Marvel comic books. There you go. Yeah. There we go. The nineties had some great Marvel movies. This and Blade. Yes. <laughs> Still never seen Blade. <laughs> Something that occurred to me recently too is that Will Smith has no character growth in this movie, which is odd as he's he is the protagonist and like we don't learn like backstory or stuff he needs to work on. There's not like any kind of arc of like, he's too much like this and he needs to learn to do this other thing. And like, <laughs> I actually really like that. Like, I don't care about him growing. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of adds credence to the whole nobody knows anything about you thing. You know, we don't actually know. any. We only know that little piece about Kay because he has to retire. Mm hmm. We need to understand why he's leaving after right. only two days of being with Jay. But we don't need to know uh, Jay's information because we're going to see him again. Or I don't know if they intended that, but it feels like they did. And then it's surprise. I don't know. I feel like they could have. And, and then if they made it today with that intention, they would have made like 27 
sequels, which I wouldn't even be against. <laughs> totally. And they would have made three television series about some other guy who works at the Men in Black. Like, yeah, totally. Like, there'd yeah. be so much property. There'd be so much Men in Black property. <laughs> the Men in black averse. It's also, like, it occurred to me the last time I was watching this that, like, this movie is basically seven in terms of format, the old miserable guy training the new excited guy and yes. the old guy's about to retire. It's just seven. <laughs> so true. With aliens. <laughs> seven for kids. <laughs> Steph, why why this movie? Why is this your movie? You know, I knew you were going to ask this. so I tried, <laughs> I tried to think about it a lot, um, but I think I was thinking about it too much. I kind of got in the habit of saying Men in Black was my favorite movie. When I started teaching, I realized because that's something that the kids would know, you know, and I, I but then like it became real. Mm. <laughs> but as I said it more, it was like, yeah, actually, I think Men in Black is my favorite movie. And like I said, I think the thing that attracts me to and things that attract me to movies like Men in Black is that it's it's saying that it's just revealing the truth about how we live. Like everybody, everybody's reality is different. So everybody's kind of living in like a different world. We have some shared qualities, but ultimately like our interpretation of that reality is completely different so this kind of like puts it into perspective a little bit like it puts it into perspective in an extreme way and then i think also i love the the aspect of like k choosing to quit at the end like there's this idea because and i like i like the emotionality mm. of it too even though like yeah it is like a little dramatic because it's only been two days <laughs> since you met jay but i love the idea of like he's missing something and he found somebody who he feels is suitable to like take his place. Mm. So his work now is done. He can like have somebody else take that work over. And there's just like this idea of like the work is never fully done. So we kind of have to like pass it off to other people. And it just kind of reminds me of, I don't know, doing any kind of work, like any kind of work in our society, you know, like the work's not done. So I need to find people who mm. are going to continue it. And so mm. I like that aspect of it as well. Sarah, did you you when you saw this as a kid, what was it that struck you about it? I mean, I think I just it's a funny movie and I really I'm sure I responded to that because I was I was like pretty easily satisfied as a kid, especially with summer movies. Like I remember seeing Mission to Mars and really liking it and <laughs> haven't watched that one since. But I was like I remember leaving Mission to Mars with my mom and I had just learned about the function of climaxes in storytelling. And I was like, what did you think the climax of Mission to Mars was? And she was like, oh, there were too many to count or something like that. Like she clearly did not care about good answer. The, the storytelling structure. She probably zoned out for oh, like yeah. at least an hour of that movie. She was just <laughs> thinking about Gary Sinise, who may or may not have been in it. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I get that it's like, it's funny. It's like something a kid can understand. It's like the jokes when you're a kid, I think, make you feel smart for getting them. Yes. I also like, we must talk at some point about Vincent D'Onofrio's performance in this because like, Oh my God. Yeah. The performance of a lifetime. Yes. That man was acting his ass off. Yes. He should have gotten an Academy Award for that. Right. <laughs> and like now, and like not to say that actors in Marvel movies or superhero movies don't work hard. I think they're working very hard. Um, and it seems very hard to have all of those appliances attached to you and to be like, you know, having to react to nobody and whatever it is they're doing when they are filming these like vast CGI tableaus. But like Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> is like making for us a character who is a man who has been taken over by a bug alien. And he's doing it with the magic of theater, you guys. He's just like walking <laughs> around weird and like moving his head around. And just like the way he's moving his body like as someone who also always feels like I am piloting around a human body that I don't really know how to use like I love him <laughs> there's like two scenes that always stick out to me about D'Onofrio's performance in this it's the scene in the car when he's spying on Rosenberg and he's trying to get his arm <laughs> to go like this <laughs> he's like trying to rest on his arm and he like can't do it and then, yeah. <laughs> like it's like you can feel the bones cracking or, or like the skin stretching i don't know you can feel something there and yeah then the other one is like, he walks out of the polish restaurant and there's a guy walking opposite of him and he just kind of 
puts his hand up to his face for no reason. Like the guy was looking at him, but the guy wasn't looking at him at all. <laughs> yeah, there's there's like something beautiful about like watching creature try mm-hmm. to be human so so poorly. And he nails it. Just and not just like awkwardly. It's like he's so flamboyantly bad yes. at being a human and it's really tremendous to watch. And you 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 know to your point stuff like the physicality of the like you can feel it not just be awkward, but you can feel like his body revolting against whatever he's trying to do. Because it looks like it. He <laughs> just gets increasingly worse for wear, yeah. which is so great. Oh, yeah. The, the the makeup effects on him, too, are amazing. And I know Rick Baker, we're all kind of familiar with his work as the guy that did the makeup on this. He did stuff in Videodrome and... Mm. Um, Harry and the Hendersons. Um, <laughs> did he do the howling? Yeah, he did the howling yeah. as well, yeah. The howling, yes. The makeup on him, his fingers get like increasingly more blue. Like the skin is experiencing rigor mortis, kind of. <laughs> it seems like, and I think that's why it's so hard for him to move because it's like getting stiff and he can't move anymore. I love that. I love him. He has this physicality about him. It's funny. Like the way he moves is funny. So it just adds to the Edgar thing, you know? It's, it's like his like little funny movements, but taken to the extreme. Like Edgar is like the all the way to the left. Yes. Yeah. He's in. He's like him being a big guy, I think, is a part of it working mm-hmm. so well is like yeah, absolutely. watching like a big dude just like jerk around in that way. There's something like especially like me being a big guy, like it's it's extra funny and impressive just knowing he was able to pull it off because being big generally usually leads to like an A harmony in your body. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, your upper left shoulder never has any idea what your lower right <laughs> foot is doing, just no idea. So watching somebody like somehow pull that off in a character and then an actor pull it off being able to synchronize with their body is impressive to me period because (laughs) I don't know what the fuck to do with my giant body it's always a a mess that's the thing like being a person just feels like wearing the skin of a scary farmer that you stole from him one night (laughs) yeah like what is the so I also like this bit in the movie where Part of, and who knows what this is saying, if anything, or if it's just was funny, but like part of Edgar, Bug Edgar's whole thing that he gets like undone and distracted by is anyone fucking with any bugs at all? Like, so if like- Including David Cross, by the way. Yes. If you are a young spry David Cross and you are hitting flies with a fly swatter, you are going to get killed because all the bugs are in it together. (laughs) And then if you are- if you are Will Smith stepping on just like a gaggle of cockroaches that are around his feet in in Central Park, you know, you're going to earn the ire of Edgar the Bug. Um, it's a very funny thing that they're doing with that character. That character is very upset <laughs> about how bugs are treated to the point where it distracts him from his mission. He has that little monologue in the, when he first becomes the bug and the exterminator comes to the barn. And he says, yeah, I've detected a little infestation here. And he starts describing humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that, I think he just hates humans so much. It's not even about bug solidarity necessarily. He just like hates humans yeah. <laughs> so much that he'll kill you if you step on a cockroach. It's inter- and then like Tommy Lee Jones says that his character has an inferiority complex, I think, at some point. So you're like... Well, what's that about? But like again, I love the lack of backstory. <laughs> again, it's all under wraps. It's the men in black. We can't know too many details, you know. No, there used to be half an hour longer of this movie, but your memory gets wiped every time you see it. <laughs> every time, I almost probably sound like a fucking broken clock at this point by just continuing to come back to this. But like, I love a movie that gives me little to no detail. It just says stuff with certainty and gives me little to no detail. Has an inferiority mm-hmm. complex. We don't know why or how. That's enough <laughs> for me. I love it. I also like that Siobhan Fallon on the farm after Edgar's gone. She has her chickens just out roaming around so she can sell some free range eggs she's gonna be fine <laughs> no she's gonna be fine she doesn't need Edgar so to the you brought these these other movies up Steph and the era of fantastic mm-hmm. you know there are humans and there's like what's going on in the human world and then it's like slightly elevated like fantastic other reality sort of like that meets it and I think the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s 
like it was a really spectacular time for these movies that were science fiction or were like had like some fantasy element that were funny that I think was probably enjoyable for adults in some way and enjoyable for children in other ways that I don't know how much of these we make anymore unless they're nostalgia pieces. Like I saw the, the Bill and Ted reboot recently. There's the Wednesday Adams TV show Mm -hmm. that came out, but it was obviously like a different tone. Like I, yeah, I, this is a thing that I feel like, and I could be wrong. It could just be that I'm 40, but like that I don't (laughs) see this sort of thing much anymore. No, I don't, I don't think we see this sort of thing anymore, but for adults, we kind of do like with the John Wick series. Hmm. Oh, sure. You know, like the John Wick series is like everything is, like I said, like two inches away from like our reality. Those two realities are bumping up against each other. Mm. But the human, like the like the regular non-assassin people, like don't really feel the carnage mm. or the destruction of like the John Wick, like the assassin world, you know? So I guess like they do mm. kind of make it, but it's just for adults. There's not really like a kid's version of that. <laughs> yeah. I hope people aren't letting little kids watch John Wick. <laughs> No, that's ideal. Yeah, I hope not too. I felt like uh, um not Maleficent. Was Maleficent Ma- uh what's the movie that you and I watched together not long ago, Sarah? Oh, Malignant. Malignant. Oh yeah. <laughs> James Wan's Maleficent. <laughs> but yeah, this yeah, the ones for kids. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know what sort of is kids entertainment anymore at this point. And I don't say that in a like longing way. I just literally do not know what it is anymore outside of like animated movies so yeah i love i loved i love this you know whatever was happening from the mid 80s into like the late 90s of these movies that were like fantastic and big and didn't spend a lot of time explaining shit unless it like got into franchise territory um i appreciate that i know what toddlers are watching and peppa pig just does not do anything particularly interesting but that's what we like about her she's relatable (laughs) <laughs> I was just like, I was gonna say in response to Alex, like, yeah, I, I really, I do, I love this period too. This, these films that kind of give you a glimpse into some other, it, it gives you a glimpse into another world, but it's still our world, you know. It still feels right. grounded. It's not too far away from what we're actually living. It could, like, Men in Black could exist. I don't know, right? You know, like, it could, it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make an unfounded claim that like Harry Potter was some kind of a turning point because like mm, that was a story that started off as like there's a whole world two inches away from us. But then over time, it's like, well, but like non wizards are like NPCs who we don't care about. And now yes. and this is like my request for a Marvel movie starring and about Josh Gondelman. It's just Josh Gondelman <laughs> as himself just trying to have a nice day while all these Avengers totally. are like crashing around and like he's trying to go to the Dunkin' Donuts and it's just been destroyed by Avengers and he has to deal with that. Because like nobody, I don't, I don't really think that people care about normal civilians in Marvel movies very much. Yeah, they don't. No, well, there's, you know, that's, that ended up being a whole plot point for a while is that in the earlier movies, some disaster that happens because of them ends up like killing people and like it sort of like changes things politically. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I, I think one of the issues is like when the whoever the filmmakers or the company that are sort of making the franchise happen are trying to make it a franchise or trying to make it its own world. It then like moves out from the, like it's our world. And then whatever is happening like two inches beyond and it becomes its own world. And I just don't necessarily care much anymore. Like if Harry Potter was like a standalone, if the adaptation, if that was like a standalone, whatever, three movies and you're like, this is what happens in our world. This is what happens with the wizards or whatever. Yeah, totally. But once it gets into lore territory, I'm like, all right, I'm fucking out. I don't give it. Like, if I have to, like, memorize vocab, I'm out. I don't <laughs> want to know about it. That's what's great about David Lynch's Dune. You're like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And there's no way this movie is giving me enough information to figure it out. I guess I have to let it happen to me. It's just happening. Actually, unfortunately, that's kind of what happens with, like, Men in Black. Like, the fourth one, it became lore, you know? Hmm. And not to say I didn't like the fourth one. Like I had a good time. It was it was a fine movie, but it created this lore. And now, okay, we're not too we're not too inches from our world anymore. Now we're in this we're in this whole separate universe, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like it didn't feel like it was part of the the rest of them. You know, it, it was like they like Avengerified it. You know, like yeah. they like super Marvelized it, and then it became like it's just a totally different thing. 
What is the like trajectory of the Men in Black sequels been like? Because I've still only seen the first one. I like to stick to something I like and never move on. My like rating of the Men in Black movies, if you guys really want to know, it's like, yes. Mm-hmm. Number one is obviously number one. Number two is Men in Black three. Number three is Men in Black two, and mm. then four is the fourth one. I think the first and third Men in Black are like really good. Nice. <laughs> but the second one kind of like. I mean, Johnny Knoxville is in it, so it's definitely worth watching. (laughs) (laughs) In my opinion. I was not expecting that. (laughs) So I think it's worth watching. But the third one answers some questions, but it doesn't get like too far into it, you know? Just answers just enough. And then we're like, okay. Yeah, I think like I think in order to keep my attention, the lore needs to be at, like bananas. And I'm I'm not saying Men in Black lore is not bananas, but like saw I can, like the saw stuff I can get into. Yeah, it's thank yeah. you, Alex. It's like a real soap opera. No, Freddie can totally get into yeah. it. Can totally stick with it. I love that. But it's gotta be you know it's gonna be, it's gonna have an appropriate amount of camp. I know when I talk about this a lot, but like the saw lore is so incredible because after the third movie. Jigsaw is dead, okay? He's dead for the last four movies of his seven movie franchise. And the way they handle it is like with each subsequent movie, they're like, okay, you remember this thing you already saw? Well, actually, this other character was there too. And here's backstory of that scene from the second movie that you're now seeing in the fifth movie. And it's like, it's just writes fan fiction of the movies you've already seen. More, more, I want more of that. It's so good. And that's why it's successful. Yeah. And honestly, like, that's the turn Scream has taken, too. And I'm, I'm like, cool with it. <laughs> nice. I haven't seen any Scream sequels. I really have a, a lot of fear <laughs> of sequels. But they do the same thing. They're like, oh, hey, you, you know this guy? He was actually a fan of the old Ghostface. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, he took over Ghostface's position, you know? That's kind of what they're doing now. Yeah, that's so good. And it is like, I don't know, we're now living in an era of like, you take a concept and you figure out like, it's almost like when you like donate blood, they then like centrifuge it into like different blood components. And it's like, you have a concept and you're like, okay, how do we make this into a limited series? How do we make this into movie sequels? How do we optimize it for TikTok, whatever? How do we... If it's the 90s, they would have done a, or in the 80s or 90s, they would have done a Saturday morning cartoon, which would be perfect for Men in Black. They could have called it the real Men in Black. Totally. (laughs) There was a Men in Black cartoon. Oh, was there? Was there? Good. Oh, holy shit. Of course. I don't know what channel it was on. I didn't watch it. I wasn't a cartoon kid. I don't know either, but I'm going to say confidently it was UPN and then someone will correct (laughs) the shit out of me. (laughs) Probably. Or or WB. It should have been on UPN. God, UPN left and was never replaced. Do you ever think about that? All the time. (laughs) It was was just gone one day. All the time. The death of UPN was like the death of most of the diversity on television for that time period. Yeah, totally. They're like, no more. I think Willow and Tara weren't allowed to kiss until Buffy moved to UPN. That's perfect. Wow. Are there like bigger things that we want to say about the movie before we talk about daddy stuff? Like, is there anything that you're struck by that you feel like people should know about Men in Black that they're not talking about with regard to Men in Black? Like, what's what what hits you? I don't think enough people talk about how funny Men in Black is. Mm-hmm. That that there's that, but also I think there's not like a big emotional heart in the film or anything like that. But I do think that that <laughs> that like I do think that there is this like very subtle emotionality between Jay and Kay where like Kay is this father figure that Jay doesn't have anymore Mm. or we're supposed to like be led to believe that he doesn't have that anymore and then he like loses him you know and then I guess it kind of sets it up for the second one for him to go find him or whatever but it's just there's this feeling of like a person can come into your life for such a short time and like change Mm. it entirely and have such an impact on you and also like make you find the place where you belong and I, I think that kind of doesn't ever get talked about in regards to Men in Black. That's like a very queer theory reading of Men in Black. And I it feels so true. He did belong there, you know? Like, that was his home. Like, the, the, who was going to do the job better than, than James, you know? Mm. Yeah. Oh, my God. The subtle eroticism <laughs> of Men in Black. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And like something I talk about a lot on the show is like, I love it when kind of summer movies like have some kind of a theme. I can't think of a single one that does, but I'm sure that they are there and we've talked about them. I just can't like City Slickers actually kind of has a theme. That's a light movie with a theme. We just like dug into it. And then it annoys me. And I feel like this is such a thing today where like popcorn movies like don't have a theme, but they have to pretend to have a theme. And they're like, the theme is that friendship is good. And it's like, I don't know if that's a theme per se, but like, I guess you (laughs) came up with something so you don't have to get arrested by the theme police. But you can just (laughs) no one has to learn anything in this movie. If you can't think of anything for them to learn, you don't. it's okay. And this is so that it's like it's kind of a Seinfeldian action movie there's nobody learns anything and i think that's nice i think it's beautiful yeah i don't think we're supposed to learn anything i think like just the characters are just supposed to figure out where they belong and that's it and they do and that's it yeah well we learned that we're in a marble i guess so similarly like i don't think another great you know Barry Sonnenfeld movie is adam family did he make adam family values too i don't know yeah he did he did them both there's nothing to be learned in that movie. Like even people who are different, like we should love. No, it's they're just like, fuck you. You're different. Like that's the whole. <laughs> you learn kill all normies in Adam's family values. Yes, you do. So, you which do. is great. But I think that that's like what makes it great is that it's like this like really fun, extremely quirky character study, fun, like macabre things and sight gags happen. Not unlike this movie, like this, this movie is just like 10% gooier (laughs) than uh, the Addams Family. And really, truly, now that we're all together, the moral is it doesn't have that to offer. And I love that. Yeah, it's it's awesome. We're just having fun. (laughs) We're just having fun. It's just a fun movie. Just have fun. You don't have to learn anything. It's fun. And like the feeling I had at the end of it was just as a kid and now is just like there's not a like they're not telling you something specific with this thing of like, hey, we're in we're all in a marble. But it is like it's Carl Sagan-esque, you know, like everyone you love everyone you hate, every enemy, every invention, every pair of young lovers, every everything is in this marble that an alien is whipping around. And that's great. Yeah. Makes you think, especially when you're nine. I feel like to that point, like a lot of this movie's DNA ended up in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are trying a little harder to be like, themes! Like, but like, (laughs) this is... And then they refuse to end with a rap song by Chris Pratt. (laughs) If they were brave, they would end with a rap song by Chris Pratt. (laughs) It's easy, Chris. You just go, ha-ha! Woo! (laughs) They should have the Bradley Cooper as the raccoon rap the end song. There we go. Yes. Bradley Cooper rapping with a kick-ass sample. That's all you need yeah. at the end of Guardians. Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> That's how you know we're in the song part of the movie. <laughs> the credits are rolling. Oh, all right. Well, there's literally not a f- single father in this movie. There's no fathers. Except for Reg. <laughs> Except for Reg. He has a he has an octopus baby. Oh, wait. Yeah. Reg. Oh, you're right. Reg has that little squid baby. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. Well, we know that Reg is a, is a father. <laughs> who, in your view, is the daddy of the movie? Steph, why don't you kick us off? Oh, my goodness. It's such a hard decision. I'm going to go Linda Fiorentino. <laughs> Ooh, mm-hmm. great news. Why? I mean, at the end when she's wearing the suit, I'm, this is purely aesthetics, you guys. This is based purely on aesthetics. Yeah, but at the end when she's wearing the suit, she just looks so hot. And then she's like, all right, we got to go. Yeah. We got a case. And she's so serious. Yep. I don't know. There's, yeah. something, there's something to that. <laughs> she's a hot woman with a deep voice. Yes. And I also love when they're showing her at her desk in the morgue and she's got like seven empty coffee cups and then like... <laughs> A computer screen behind her that's like black with neon green lettering. It's very Scully core. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, with the seven empty coffee cups, like she probably forgot she drank the first six because her brain is just switched cheese <laughs> by this point. I love how Will Smith is concerned that she's going to forget stuff she learned in medical school. Like, this yes. is a very reasonable thing to bring yes. up. <laughs> and then he gets concerned that he's been neuralized more times. <laughs> And Kay just lies to him. Yep. He's like, have you ever have you ever done it to me? And he's like, no. 
<laughs> I love that whole exchange. That's really brilliant. It's lovely. I am going to go not with any character merits at all. No mm-hmm. character merits whatsoever. But I'm just going to go with um, Tony Shalhoub. Just Tony Shalhoub. Anytime Tony Shalhoub is in anything, it's a delight. He plays an alien arms dealer in this who is a um, a, a little creep. And uh, any yeah, and just anytime I see Tony Shalhoub, who I always remember as the cab driver from Wings, that is how he was introduced into my heart. He's also the only famous person that went to my college. The only famous what? person that went to my college oh, was wow. Tony Shalhoub, who was studying drama in Portland, Maine in the late 70s. I don't know what that says. Is he from Maine or did he go to Portland to study drama? He, he went to Portland to study drama. <laughs> Well, it all worked out. It panned out. Look at him now. Good for him. <laughs> but I love him anytime he does lit- anything. He's always he's always great. And he's in uh, Galaxy Quest also. Yes, he is. And he plays like my favorite, one of my favorite characters in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> I love you, Tony. Great movie. My daddy is anyone out there who has some Agent K and J fan fiction, whether they wrote it on Loose Leaf in the 90s or last week. I don't care. I want to read it. I am particularly interested in stories where agents K and J have to go on a road trip and stay in a motel together and the budget has been slashed. Oh. So they have to share a room. That's what I want to read. You want sexy J and K fanfic. That's all I want. <laughs> Somebody get Sarah some sexy J and K fanfic. I, if you do not get me sexy J and K fanfic, I will shrivel up and die like that little alien. <laughs> the people will come through who yeah who dries out as Sarah says. <laughs> yeah, he dries out. Maybe a little drying. I just feel like Agent K would be like an undershirt and sock garters kind of a guy. You can just let your imagination take you wherever it wants to go. <laughs> Steph, thank you for bringing this fine film to us. How how do people find you? Thank you for having me on. I'm so glad that we got to talk about this together. People can find me at Twitter or on Instagram. I have the same handle on both and it's ancillary text. Or you'll find my writing around the internet too. So if you Google me, you'll find me here. Excellent. Google it. Google it. <laughs> Google it. Get it together. Just Google something. <laughs> All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Thank you so much to Steph Rubino for talking about Men in Black with us. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this episode and editing it as well. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. Thanks to Fresh Lush for providing the beats that make the episode sound so sweet. Thanks to you for listening to the episode. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions. Uh, If that's something you do, we really appreciate that. It helps make the whole thing possible. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at YouAreGoodPod. And uh, don't forget that you, my friend, are good. (laughs) 